gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we're so excited about this episode because we have Cat and Cat from the Plumline podcast, and we're just going to have a fun conversation about all sorts of things. And if you haven't checked them out, you do have to check them out. Uh, Rachel and I were guests. I think Rachel, you've been on there twice, mm-hmm. so we'll link those two in the episode notes because we had so much fun with them. Before we get started, just to remind you, if you would like to support Theology Gals, there are several ways you can do that. You can support us monthly through Patreon or give a one-time donation on PayPal. You can also purchase some of our merch. We have shirts and mugs and all sorts of things. And we also have journals. And all of those things will be linked in the episode notes. And one way you can support us is to share this episode. Just for starters, why don't both of you introduce yourselves and tell us about your podcast? Hi, I'm Kat the Elder. I'm Katrina, really. You can call me Katrina if it's going to be easier to distinguish between the two of us with having the same name. Um, I'm married to Andrew and we live in Sheffield in the UK and we have three kids aged 15, 13 and 10, boy, girl, boy. Um, Before I had children, I worked in academic publishing and corporate fundraising and then I was at home full time for 12 years and now I work part time as a high school librarian, I guess you'd call it, and uh, do the podcast with my dear friend Kat and I became a Christian when I was 22, when I was at university. So I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. But um, yeah, I've been a Christian more than half my life now. Kat, do you want to go? Yeah. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for having us on. It's really nice to talk to you again. Um, I, yeah, I'm the other cat, Cat W. I am 
mum to four, um, who are 10, 10, eight and five. Well <laughs> we done. We stumbled a bit trying to remember. And um, yes, I am the other the other co-host of The Plum Line. Um, we've been going for a couple of years. We um, are... Yeah, we we started the podcast because we noticed that there was a bit of a gap in in the market, particularly for female UK voices speaking into um, issues to do with church and faith, Christianity. Um, so Kat and I decided that we were the ones to to take up the mantle and to try and get try and get some voices speaking into that. Um, so. So yeah, we've been going for two years. We've had a whole range of guests, both of you, as you've already said, um, and it's been yeah, it's been just a pleasure and uh, a pleasure to be with you today as well. One of the things we're going to talk about is kind of some of the differences in um, Christian circles. I would say Reformed-ish circles in UK versus um, the United States or maybe North America. Canada is pretty similar to us. But when we were on your podcast, you guys said something that made me think, I think we were talking about some of the manhood, womanhood debates. Mm -hmm. And you guys said something like, yeah, American Christians are weird. And um, you're not wrong. I'm just laughing. Right. (laughs) And, you know, after, after that, I started talking to more girls in the Theology Gals Facebook group and it's been so fascinating. And I think I I knew that a lot of those discussions, especially the manhood womanhood discussions, are very American. Um, but it's been it's been so fascinating. Like talking to um a couple girls in our group that live in post-Soviet countries, which are so different than what we have. You know, they're still struggling 30 years later, you know, to improve their economy and things like that. And they kind of laughed at the idea of a woman staying home. You know, um, no, we, we both work because we want to eat. I would love to hear from you guys some of the things that you have seen that are different. Because obviously, I think you have a lot of American evangelicalism and American Christianity is, is kind of influential in some ways. We have a lot of celebrity pastors and and things like that. And I think more than other countries, we are sometimes not even aware what goes on in other parts of the world. Yeah. So I think, um, I, yeah, I think that's, that's true. That would, I mean, that would be true of the UK as well. I think we all do well to remember that we, we automatically assume that where we are is, is the norm because mm. it's the norm for us. Um, so I think, I mean, I think often around the world, Americans and our experience of Americans often is Americans on holiday. So <laughs> when they come, when they come over here and, and they can see, I mean, tourists can seem quite insular and quite sort of unaware of the fact that it just might be different somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you get British people who are like that as well when they go abroad. So I, I think we all, we all need to be mindful that just because what we're used to is what we're used to doesn't mean that it, it really is normal everywhere else. And the thing with the UK and the US is that because we share a language largely, I think we can forget 
how how very different we are and i i mean we've each been to the states i've only been once um and i was really it really struck me i was so excited about going and thought it would just be really a smooth transition and it really it was very it felt very different even the language just culturally it's just really very different so i think um i think it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us that there are different things different historical structures and things a lot of different attitudes to things like governance and authority and leadership both in the church and outside of the church that shape our christian culture and our church cultures as well one thing I wanted to ask, and I, and I want y'all to kind of continue on uh, on this theme, but um, could you tell a little bit about what what the church landscape is like in the UK? You know, what kind of church are you in? What is what what are common denominations and uh, I guess streams of Christianity around you? So, uh, so Kat and I both go to uh, what would be described as a conservative evangelical church. Um, and it's an Anglican church, so in the Church of England. Um, and each each area of the UK is divided up into um, a diocese, which is divided up into a parish. Um, and most of those parishes will have a church. Um, at one point, each of those parish churches would have their own vicar. Um, but with the you know the decline of of churchgoers, the the decline of money within the Church of England, the lack of people coming forward for ministry, um, that that has changed quite significantly. Uh, so, so really, I think unless you're unless you're being sponsored, I suppose by a, a sending church, they would call it. Um, you're you're very likely if you go into ministry in the Church of England to end up having to kind of be in charge of two or three churches that are within close proximity within a parish um we're we're quite fortunate you know in 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 sort of evangelical circles that where people are committed to a local church and people are committed to to their faith um you know the like god promises to build his church doesn't he and he does that through people and our vicar, our vicar said recently that as people grow, as, as people grow in their their own faith, you know, you hope that that with that grows the, the grace of giving. And I think, you know, there are there are conservative evangelical churches that are people are really committed to both with their time and with their money. And so it means that um, vicars and leaders are paid for and able to commit themselves to that one that one proper church you know one single church family and that's quite and that's quite unusual now within the church of england and there's there's this really funny um there's this really funny sort of uh like spectrum where you've got conservative christians who really are keeping buildings going and that they're flourishing congregations versus quite liberal um theology and very very liberal um anglicanism where you know congregations are folding and churches are having to close or they're having to join up or they're having to share leadership and and so you know the the culture moves towards um 
you know, obviously the culture moves towards that sort of tolerant, tolerant as they think kind of idea of church. Um, but actually what that's doing is, is dying really. And, um, and so this sort of conservative evangelicalism, which is hated and where people go and, you know, they're, they're talked about openly as being, well, you know, choose any number of, of words, sexist, bigoted, whatever you want. And those, those accusations are thrown around quite, quite freely. Um, so, so that's that's sort of where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in one of those um, a fl- a flourishing church, I suppose, and um, a church that's that's part part of a bigger network that's hoping to keep planting churches around us. There, w- around us in Sheffield, you know, there are um, there are other conservative evangelical churches that belong to the Church of England. There are some independent churches. There are some Baptist churches. All of all of which would be um, reformed in theology to, to an extent. Um, and then even within Sheffield itself, you've, you've really got the other end of the spectrum. Um, the cathedral, for example, Sheffield Cathedral would be much more uh, theologically liberal. I was uh, watching one of my favorite secular podcasts and it's, it's hosted by um, a guy that's, a journalist that's traveled all around the world and he's got other people on there, but he said something interesting recently. He said in the United States, if you went on the street and asked almost anyone, do you know what sin is? And this is a guy who's not a Christian at all. (laughs) Do you know what sin is? They'd say, of course I know what sin is. He said, I can ask my atheist friend, do you know what sin is? And he'll say, of course I know what sin is. But he said, but when he was in China asking um, people, do you know what sin is? And it's completely foreign to them, mm. you know, mm. just so, so different. And I think it, we don't realize how much that um, just our culture and society influences so much about, you know, what we understand and, and things like that. Yeah, I think um, I think that that sort of biblical, that sort of literacy around Bible language and Bible stories and those kind of words, I think would be very much on the decline in the UK as well. I think depending on the age of people that you ask, so people probably of, of my sort of age and up, born sort of pre-70s, would, would probably know, um, you know, growing up we had school assembly every morning where you would sing some sort of hymns or Christian songs and a prayer. I remember learning the Lord's Prayer off by heart in my school when I was seven. Um, actually, I'd just moved school and I remember arriving and everyone was saying it in assembly in the morning and and I'd never heard it before and I didn't know the words and everyone seemed to know this thing off by heart. So I kind of got with the program as quick as I could. And um, But, you know, that wasn't a Christian school or anything. That was just very much the norm and that that would not be the case at all now um in in the UK and I mean in my children's own school they've there have been there was uh, been a cohort of parents who have you know been quite active to keep um church workers out of school sort of doing um assemblies or teaching sessions with the kids indoctrinating our children kind of thing um but but the whole um sort of language of 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 sin or you know god and we've done some cold calls some sort of cold evangelism in the park from our church over the years and um 
I don't know if you've ever done it, Kat, but I, I've um, I sort of signed up and done it a few times and asking people what they think Easter means and things like that. And it's really fascinating what people say and amazing what, what people don't know. You know, nominal nominal Christianity now in the UK, I, I, I mean, I don't know how you would find the figures on that, but I, it's really not a thing here um, in a way that our perception is that it's still very possible to be a to be a churchgoer to be a nominal christian there's still quite a lot of weight attached to that in in different parts of the of the states in some places it won't be as much but you know that's still quite possible whereas i think here in the uk there is no reason apart from a genuine belief in god or um a searching after god that why you would go to church there's there's nothing in it for you <laughs> um to just kind of go along you're not going to kind of make connections and get ahead yeah i remember hearing or listening to a jen wilkin talk which must have it must have been a few years ago now and she was talking about how bible literacy i think it was is is like one of the church's biggest problems in america And she gave a few examples. I can't remember what they were off the top of my head now, but I remember thinking at the time, you know, if, if people in England were giving answers, even that good, that, that would be great. (laughs) And we'd be working with quite a different, like evangelism would look quite different, for example. Mm. Um, But, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know where she got those facts and figures from, but I remember thinking at the time that, that kind of line of questionnaire that like the results from England would just be so different, I think. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've thought about like us versus UK. And I think this is one of the, a, a sort of impetus really, when we thought about doing the, the podcast was that, you know, as, as female Christians, particularly a lot of what we listen to, if you're, if you're someone that likes podcasts and listening to talks and things from, from elsewhere, what you had to choose from was American largely. And I think one of the things that I really started to notice was that any, any kind of talk really on like reaching out evangelism was so, was so, was either missing or just really what feels to us like quite watered down. Um, because, you know, in America, just by being a church, that's, that's like a form of evangelism almost because, you know, because the church means something different. Whereas over here, getting people to set foot in a church who wouldn't normally is, I mean, it's like unheard of really, you know, it's very unusual. You, You have a, you have a lot to do really before you get to that point. That is very interesting, very different, um, and it does depend here in the U.S. I mean, you have some areas that are, especially in what we call the Bible Belt, the southern states, yeah. where there still is a lot of, if you stop someone on the street and ask them if they were Christian, many would say yes, whether or not they back, what that means to them. Yeah. As far as, you know, do I go to church? Do I, you know, you know, what do I, what I, what do I mean when I say that? You know, it's, mm. that varies, but um you have more areas where uh, there are people who have, you know, really no affiliation to the church whatsoever. Uh, and that's a growing category in the U S. Mm. Um, 
I did want to say you talked about churches in the round that would be liberal. And that's a term that doesn't get defined well a lot of times. So I want to be clear about what you mean by a liberal church. What what would distinguish them from you say you're in a conservative evangelical type church? What are a liberal church beliefs that would set them apart as liberal? Yeah, I think what what I kind of mean by that is um they like justification by faith alone is um is is certainly not something that would be um held up as as well, it wouldn't be a doctrine that was subscribed to i think um they'd be they'd be places that were seen probably as very inclusive um and we would be seen as places quite exclusive um just you know that's not like that we sexuality and yeah and uh g- gender roles um the the acceptance that there's more than one way to um come to god more, you know one more than one right religion um right. yeah so i think i think that would be that that was that's sort of what i mean really um and the bible yeah. not wouldn't necessarily be seen as inerrant right yeah well i think that any any emphasis on the bible i mean most of them would be a long way yeah. from seeing the bible as in is inerrant but um any any kind of emphasis on the bible you know there's there's every good chance that the bible wouldn't even be read for example um yeah 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 so yeah hope that's no that helps helpful um, yeah they're just it's it's one of those things that happens uh in discussions especially with the overlap in the u.s between um politics and christianity and faith so that terms yes. that mean one thing politically means something else theologically and so I, yes. I wanted to make sure people understand what we're saying when we talk about having liberal churches you're talking about people that would not necessarily would not necessarily accept um the resurrection the miracles in scripture um you know the yes the necessity exactly of Christ, so theologically right? liberal. yes yeah. yes yeah you would find churches that are theologically very liberal in which people in them i mean not exclusively but would be politically conservative mm. yes i know what you, you, I know what you mean cap? yeah i think so yeah. yeah yeah definitely in in some areas of the uk yeah yeah like i'm thinking it's friends you know definitely and you know that's something that began happening um, more and more in the U.S. And starting in the like the 1960s, in particular, um, you have a, a moving away from where everybody would say, "Yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church." So you have that shift. But there were a number of churches that that became what we would call mainline churches here, um, where you know, there would be questions of, well, you know, there are many ways to, to, to God and you know, maybe the miracles happened. Maybe they didn't, maybe Jesus was born of a virgin. Maybe he's just a good example. You know, it, it, it's that undermining of all the, the real um, tenets of the faith. Right. And so you have that. And the reaction to that, of course, is a lot of the conservative denominations that we're part of broke off from those churches during those, t- those decades. Um, so it's interesting to see how the same concerns show up in different countries. Uh, but because you know, you're talking about how 
how things are here versus how things are there and, and assumptions that we make about both. And I do think uh, from some of what I've seen because of podcasts and internets and internet and celebrity pastors and, you know, sermons online and materials, et cetera, we are exporting a lot of American Christian ideas to other countries. Mm. Um, mm. For good and for ill, right? There, there are places that haven't had the gospel. I'm glad they're getting the gospel. But there are other things that we're exporting, um, bad doctrine. Um, the, the, the Something else we want to talk about is some of the views about manhood and womanhood. Some of the very American ideas are beginning to get sent to other countries. And it's, I'm sorry to see some of what's going, um, being sent out. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it's like in the discussions about uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. What kind of discussions do y'all have uh, in your circles? I think for a large swathe of the church in the UK, the, these they're not really conversations that appear to be happening anymore. You know, we have many women leading churches and in, in, in full-time ministry. And we have, I think it's about a third of clergy in the Church of England now are women. I'm just trying to wade through the statistics on all this. And it it was so difficult to kind of pin down an answer, but it's about a third. And we now have female bishops in the Church of England. And I I think for a lot of the church and for a lot of the UK, it's just not a conversation that is even happening anymore however in our in our church and in more conservative evangelical churches it is it is still happening I think there is um you would not we would not have a woman in overall leadership in our church or preaching on a Sunday but the speaking for ourselves in our church you know so for example recent discussions we Kat and I have both been involved in recent discussions on complementarianism and where where do we where do we sort of find ourselves now with regard to that term and it it seems to come up with um, a degree of regularity in our circles that it's still not a term that people fully understand what it means or how it plays out in practice so we've been we've been talking about that again with with some of our church leaders quite recently. I think at different ages and stages it can be a bit polarizing around the whole um you know do you work or do you stay at home to look after your children if you have children um the place of um and the roles for for women who are who don't have children or who aren't married where where are the places for them to serve um, and to exercise their gifts? Can a single woman lead a small um, a small group Bible study, say, with another single guy? Or um, you might have a couple leading a home group and a single man or woman. Those kind of conversations can be, I think, kind of ongoing. And at the same time, I think a lot of our organisations, so one of the big Christian organisations in the UK that would be 
pertinent to us as parachurch organisations is called UCCF, which stands for the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship. That's a really big organisation that a lot of us um, have kind of had some kind of contact with when we've been at university, you know, kind of in college. And that's very geared around, it's quite, well, I mean, male dominated, you know, in terms of leadership and scope and so on. And yet our universities now are heavily skewing towards towards women in terms of intake. You know, women are now outnumbering men in 112 out of 180 different subjects at university. That was from 2016. And, um, you know, so so our Christian unions, our groups of students at university, which is a huge, still seen as a huge kind of evangelistic and disciple growing recruiting ground, if you like, um, are heavily sort of male influence, but increasingly speaking to a, a far more female group. I think where the difference lies primarily is that the conversations are needed here, but to a less a lesser extent than they are from what you know from what I've seen in the states. And I think I think the other thing that I've seen is that, and I think this would be really true for you and I, Cat, when we've been a part of these conversations, um, whether whether in church or whether just through the podcast or whether um, you know further afield with with other people who, you know, are involved in UCCF, for example. Um, I think on the whole, and this isn't true for, this isn't true for every situation. And, um, and I realise that, but I do think that on the whole, when these conversations happen and when you say to people or you highlight to people, um, you know, actually this isn't, this isn't a very easy place to be a woman or when you talk like that, actually that's, that's quite demeaning. Um, like those conversations are had and listened to and acted on and there isn't there isn't quite it seems it seems in the states you know particularly reading about some of the the SBC stuff and um you know thinking about Beth Moore as well who we don't know anything about her other than what we see on Twitter and whether whether she's right or wrong or whether she is whatever people say she is or she isn't the way that Christians treat her and talk about her is is just disgusting um and and it seems that there's there's just a raging battle which i don't think that there is to quite the extent over here yeah i agree i think that sort of um yeah it's really kind of polarizing and i don't, I, I mean the twitter thing is funny i mean most of the most of the men in ministry that we know on twitter are, are all just on there to have a bit of a laugh they're not there to sling mud or, 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 or grow make, their platform they're not there to grow a platform for themselves or make big statements they make their big statements to their local the church yeah and you i mean i can't imagine our our church leaders being on twitter really ever saying anything very kind of draw any sort of attention to themselves one of the things that um that happens that's happening here i think a lot in reform circles i wonder for you guys a couple of questions if there is such an emphasis in certain circles on kind of a cultural christianity because one of the things that we have happening 
in Reformed-ish circles right now is a lot of people are, are attracted to Doug Wilson, for instance, who's out there fighting the culture. And I, I think that a lot of people in our circles have elevated secondary issues as if they're primary issues, but then they overlook actual primary issues. So they'll, they'll overlook, you know, Doug Wilson's federal vision and um, view on the Trinity and blah, 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 because he's out there fighting the culture wars where that's become just of, of utmost importance. And so that, that's the first part of my question. It's slightly related, maybe not fully. I would also be curious if some of the issues that have become so polarizing here uh, are are that way at all for you guys. So right right now we have the manhood, womanhood. You probably have witnessed the way that Rachel's been treated, I've been treated, Annie yeah. Bird's been treated, Valerie's mm-hmm. been treated. Even, you know, Rachel and I say we believe only qualified men are to be pastors and elders, that husbands should love their wives and wives submit to their husbands. And they're over there screaming, feminist, egalitarian, um, because we're not lining up on all of these other what I think are silly debates, mm. um, you know, where here, it, if I say, well, I don't believe that it's wrong for a woman to work outside the home, suddenly a ah, feminist. And, you know, we just have all these. There's a lot of crazy going on and. And I do, I agree with you. I think, I think it's just awful the way that, that people are treated. I don't know if you can add anything. I know I threw a lot out there. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one, one of the the things that strikes me most about that is that over here, egalitarian, I mean, first of all, no one know what egalitarian means. And secondly, I can't can't think that anyone would ever use it as an insult. (laughs) Um. And similarly, fem- feminist. I mean, these words; these words are, are lauded, and these words and what and what their meaning is are, you know, these are like the height of of a compliment. That's what that's what we want to be. You know, we want to be a feminist raising boys. We want to be a feminist raising girls. Um, we want our children to see egalitarianism in progress. You know, these are things that are really are really looked at as. Um, as you know well she's a christian but she's a she's she you know she's a feminist as well so don't worry it's <laughs> it's more sort of that which is why i think you know when we see the the kind of mud being slung at rachel and she's being you know brandished as an egalitarian i, I think just a lot of people over here are just like well who cares you know who first of all who cares what she is and I think more and more over here, we're, we're going to be having to move towards, and there, you know, there are several places where you can already see this happening. We're going to have to move towards being able to work together. That unity is bigger than whether I think a woman should be a ministry or not. Unity is bigger um, than whether I, uh, you know, than whether we disagree on infant baptism. Um, we can be unified in the gospel, and more and more that will that will need to happen because um, because it will be harder and harder for churches like ours to exist. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think legislation. We we live in not not live in fear of it exactly, but that you know that legislation could could come 
something that could um you know could could shut us down and could stop the preaching and the speaking of of of, of um of some things that are that are taught that would be considered biblically um you know biblically orthodox but so countercultural as to be a, a deeply offensive and um you know worthy of cancelling and and all that kind of thing so so things like that are are quite difficult i think with the whole like with the with what you were saying about around feminism cat i think did you mean that those are things to be to be aspired to in the in the general culture you didn't or did you mean in, you didn't mean in the church as well did you i well, no i think in like in christian subculture over here it's much easier to be a feminist christian than it is to be a christian who says you don't need to be a feminist oh yeah definitely and i think the idea that um that i think the idea the position of being of saying i'm a christian so i don't need to be a feminist i think i don't think we're I think we're only really in the early stages of, of of being able to even explain that some of us like that's something Kat and I are quite interested in. Uh, well, we're, you know, we're, we're very interested in it and we wouldn't we wouldn't describe ourselves as feminists. But I, I think there are even people in our church who would who would find that a bit confusing and would say, what, what you, you're not a feminist. So what, you know, would immediately think it would mean it wouldn't mean what we would mean. <clears throat> when we would say that we're not feminists but i think um i mean yeah feminism is just a given an absolute given within our society and so much how so many of us have been brought up i mean i was part of the women's society when i was at university um and i would have absolutely called myself a feminist although probably not really fully understood what it was what it meant you know before i was a christian and um and I, where this is these sort of conversations I'm having with my daughter already. She's thirteen. She, she's she's scared to say that she's not a feminist at school when um, in class. But it's less taught on than just assumed of everybody. Um, so it's to be able to explain to our girls and our young people and our students why first to explain to them what feminism actually is what the world around us means when it talks about feminism and secondly to be able to explain in a way that is attractive and winsome and biblical and sort of apologetic in this sort of apologetic sense rather than apologizing um for why we don't need feminism as christians um i think that i don't think we're quite there yet do you would you agree with that cat yeah, I think that's spot on. And so, and so we have women like Carrie Sandham and Karen Sewell, who are women who are very articulate on these subjects and um, quite big in sort of teaching, teaching to students and working with younger women and doing Bible training um, within within the uk who are are much more articulate on those subjects than than i would be but there i would say these topics are still not very popular even in quite conservative christian circles well i think that you know we have some of the same the same issues uh especially with dealing with topics like feminism when you're 
you know, if you talk to an, an average person who is not part of like the conservative Christian subculture in the U.S., if you talk to them about feminism, they'll say, well, of course, you know, women should, should be treated equally to men. You know, women should have the same opportunities as men in the workforce and you know, should vote. Like the things that come up to, when you talk about feminism are things that we would all go, well, yes, those are all good things. Right? Mm. So when yeah. I say, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not a feminist. And what I mean by that, right. What, what I am not part of, right. Is, is part of the, what came later in the feminist movement and what had to become associated with as far as, um, you know, the, um, sexual revolution and abortion and, you know, the, the more, uh, extremes that we're seeing today with transgender movement and these kinds of things that are all becoming part of what's considered feminist. And I would say, no, you know, I don't, mm. I draw a line. I can't agree with these things. Um, but we have a lot of a very similar set of discussions where people are like, well, of course you, we think women are equal to men. I mean, why, why would you not? Mm. So it, it, with, with everything, I think there's a lot of need for, um, discussion and conversation and uh, defining of terms when we're talking with, with people. And of mm. course, you know, people are becoming less and less, at least here, what less and less willing to have those discussions and, and very quick to simply categorize and, mm. you know, dismiss others that don't agree with us, which is a shame. One of the differences between, um, between the UK and, and the US, I think is that, as a nation, we 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 have quite there's quite a cynicism in our culture. Again, a sort of a, a challenging and a questioning of everything and of authority and a sort of holding back on being, you know, wholeheartedly enthusiastic about things. I think I th- I see that as something which is much more prevalent in the in the UK than in, in the states. And thinking of um, American Christians that we that we know and I mean even just watching we've been watching quite a few political documentaries recently sort of looking at the Trump administration and um, and, and Amer- American politics in general and one of the things that has really struck up is the sort of unbridled enthusiasm for political candidates and the way people are kind of wearing t-shirts with their names on and cheering every word they say. And I mean, I just can't imagine that happening here in any field, perhaps apart from probably sport, that would still happen, but not for anything political. Um, And that I just think some of that is just part of the sort of the US psyche of, you know, really, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just culturally, it's really just not how it works over here at all and I think that I think that feeds into you know into that 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 seeps into the church as well a sort of slight sort of cynicism about about some things maybe and um and so, so that we are, we can be sort of slower to accept some things or to, to sort of warm up to things yeah the the cult of personality that's developed around politics here is both fascinating and disturbing um <laughs> there's really we have a lot of discussions about it amongst ourselves about how what's going on and what it means and how it's happening and there are a lot of us you know who've grown up here who've been part of the active in the politics for most of our 
uh, adult lives and are baffled by a lot of what we're seeing. So it's, you know, we also are watching the documentaries and going, what happened? How is this going on? What is this? You know, so yeah, it's, we're with you on that one. Um, it's weird. And do you think that sort of um, enthusiasm and loyalty kind of thing, do you think that has, that which exists in the political arena has has been taken on board by the, by the church and led to the rise and sadly then in some cases to the fall of some of these sort of celebrity pastors that you that you see and that we we sort of watch from across the pond because it's a, again the sort of celebrity pastor thing isn't really something that we have over here and that in part will be due to the fact that relatively the christian culture and the and the and Christians numerically, we, there's just so far, there's far fewer of us. Mm. So there isn't enough momentum to really generate a celebrity. Yes. There's, there's a whole lot to be said about, you know, cult of personality and what's um, the whole rise of celebrity pastoring. And it has a, it has a long history in the U S um, going back to, you know, the, the second great awakening in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it certainly is in the church um, and there is a lot of overlap between what's happening politically and what's been happening in the church. You know, I I wonder though, in reform circles and I've only been reformed since the nineties, maybe you would know better, Rachel. I mean, you had RC Sproul, but even RC Sproul was a little different than some of the celebrity pastors, I guess we see. Rachel's correct. I mean, you can go back to Charles Finney at the Second Great Awakening, and Sunday. and you know he'd go to cities and fill up, you know, big tents. I guess back then, mm-hmm. um, and I I feel like because of the internet, we've gotten more in the reformed reformedish world, maybe then than we had before and you know we've seen we've seen so many of those so many celebrity pastors fall here in the united states so um bill hybels from willow creek and james mcdonald from harvest and mark driscoll mark driscoll and tullian and now robbie and we've seen so much of this you know i i hope that it encourages discussions about how this may not be a great model (laughs) to to be elevating pastors. I tell girls in our group all the time, you, you know, there's, there's actually a girl in our group, really great woman that is completely opposed to the amount of time that some people spend listening to sermons from other pastors and not their own. And Mm -hmm. we, we elevate these people. We put them on a pedestal. Um, and with, that celebrity becomes comes power. And uh, Diane Langberg's book is really good on that. And they're able to get away for years with abuse and things like that. Obviously, you guys know that conversations on abuse and a lot of things have been expo- exposed in the last years. I, I think Rachel and I would both see a connection in some of the, not the celebrity pastor abuses, but some of the other abuse stories to 
complementarianism, patriarchy, um, that, you know, it's justified. I, I'd be curious if there's discussions about abuse in your circles and if you've seen the amount of abuse that we have here. Like, I, I didn't know until I started Theology Gals just how widespread that abuse was. I mean, the stories I've heard, I, I was naive, I guess. Um, so I'm mm. curious what, what you guys have seen. Yeah, I think really similarly, Colleen, to you, actually. I think if you'd have asked me that a year ago, I think I, my answer would have been very different. I think I would have been much more on the side of thinking, actually, what we do is we sit here in the UK and we look over at you guys and we think, wow, look at all of the scandal coming out from over there. And, you know, these these pastors, they're on a pedestal, aren't they? And they're revered and everyone looks up to them and then they have this massive fall. And rather than anyone considering really whether that was a good thing, they just revert their eyes and shift their gaze to somebody else and it happens all over again. And and the pattern's cyclical, isn't it? It just keeps on, keeps on going. Um. I think over the last year, though, my answers really changed. I think, you know, partly, I, I think, Kat, I don't know whether you'd agree with this, but f- for me particularly, I think I've been in churches that, um, I, I mean, I've only really been in two churches since since I came to faith. Um, and both of those, I think, have, have just been, you know, I've been very... God's just been very gracious and they've been very safe places to be. Um, and I think my naivety around that was, was huge. I think over the last year we've, we've watched it creep closer and closer to us. Um, and particularly in Sheffield, there's been just a few weeks ago, reports been published about a church really close, physically really close to us. Um, and therefore, you know, we've become involved more holistically in lots of ways because lots of the people that have been really hurt by what happened there have um, become a part of our church family. Um, and, and what we've been involved in, I suppose, is with the aftermath of that. Um, now, that's something that has has been going on, as it, as it turns out, for a number of years and was very significant. Um, and... And so there's since that's happened, I think it is it's almost like once once one thing's kind of dropped, it seems to be that it's just you're just sort of waiting for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um and not that that makes it sound like, you know, there's there's a different story every day and that that isn't that isn't the case. But as as well, like Rachel said, you know, with with the with the internet and with Twitter and with people being able to just get information out there, you hear about things that you you may not have heard about as quickly or at, or if at all. Um, and you know there are there are some there are some people that you know their names come up quite a lot. There are there are institutions that are under investigation, and those things have come to light. And I think there are some people who are just who have started an investigation on the basis that that's, that's the way we need to deal with it. I think there's, there's, you know, there's, there's still problems with transparency. There's problems with people 
knowing the best way to to kind of work through and deal with some of things some of these things when you're part of a church family um I think my own experience though has been that church that was very close to us that's had a report come out recently you know the the our leaders and um and others that are in their kind of network you know they've taken the report and they've read it and they've said what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen to us um and I think that that's been hugely encouraging to be a part of some of those conversations but even to know that they're happening um I think probably over the next year we'll start to start to see some some other stuff unravel you know you think about where we were a year ago and even from the states you know things have got so much worse haven't they in this in terms of this sort of stuff so yeah so it's not it's it definitely doesn't feel again to quite the extent that you're having to deal with it but like Kat pointed out you know we're we're such a smaller number than you are um that but yeah it's it's definitely there and I think I think the thing for those that are really close to this now is working out how how do you tread the line between um not not giving away everything and not breaking the confidences of those that need things to be kept quiet but also dealing with these kind of issues in a transparent and open way so people know that things aren't just being brushed under the carpet i think as as well some of the some of the things that we're that we've been facing here in the uk and that are starting to come out more um again because it's a relatively small network that you find that the people at the top and the people in the positions of authority in some of the really big influential churches they've all sort of come through the same the same channels and training channels and and have the same mentors so it's quite tight-knit and mm-hmm. you find that the sort of, you know, all paths lead back to sort of certain people or certain places. And um, and there's quite a there's quite a strong connection with some of these um, these individuals and these with, um, you know, particular styles of sort of quite public sort of, um, you know, elite schools and elite educational establishments and Christians who sought to, I suppose, evangelize and disciple and mentor young men in these institutions, knowing that they would be the movers and shakers of the future, you know, the politicians, the leaders, of the captains of industry. And so you've got that kind of strict, you know, boarding school you know, stiff upper lip kind of culture enmeshed with discipleship kind of model. And I think it's just become, I think it's been very damaging to to a lot of men. And and women. And then a knock-on effect and the knock-on effect on women also is is really damaging you know whether you're married to a man like that or you're being sort of shepherded or not shepherded by a man like that um and i i don't wish at all to sound as though i'm tarring all these people with the same brush and and i i also echo cat's experience 
um, that I have, um, I've been in, what, three, five, six churches since I became a Christian. And, uh, you know, I've never experienced any abuse or gaslighting or, or ill treatment or anything like that. But I also now realise that I would be naive to say that because I because my experiences were good and um, and I have learned so much from all that the men who had oversight over me that that nobody in those churches could possibly have gone through anything different to that or not been or not had a, a really difficult time at the hands of different of, of within the same church if you see what I mean so I think that's where I want or I wonder if that's where in the UK we have our um our sort of systemic failings and um abuses and ill treatments of people and take on a particularly kind of British Downton Abbey-esque flavour um do you know what I mean in terms like with self-protection of the church right the the organization yeah. protects itself yeah, and self- each other yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, thinking of sort of one of the, the, the situations involving a man called Jonathan Fletcher, and this is all stuff that is very much in the public domain. Um, you know, his his abuses and the allegations made against him were, you know, were, were all to do with with sort of young, young men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from I mean, it's very hard for women to come out and speak up against abuse. And I, but I just think within these sort of cultures and frameworks, how much harder for men mm. to come out and say, "I can't believe I've this happened to me, and I, I didn't see how wrong it was." And you know, the shame. I think the shame um, plays out in surely in a different way there than for than for than for women. I don't know. I think I'm maybe just speculating on all this, no, but I, I do I think find right. it really fascinating. From the men that I know who are um, who have spoken about the abuse that they've been through, um, you're, yeah. you're right about who's, and we have you know similar it's humiliating. Mm-hmm. We have similar issues here about you know you, you don't want to come forward and speak up about it because it seems un, unmanly or it's mm. you know it's not you know, men shouldn't talk about that or, you know, you have these ideas or they'll be seen as less than men because they've been abused. There's, there is a lot of that in connected to um, speaking out on abuse. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of system like you're describing, we here we would, we would refer to it as a good old boys network. Um, yeah. The, the guys that get together and protect each other and pat each other on the back. And, you know, it's that, inner circle crowd uh, and all of the, everything that you talked about, the mentoring and the, all of what happens is, that's what I would, it reminded me of our own culture yeah, uh, in the U S. And of course it makes it terribly difficult to do robust investigations. If everybody kind of knows people are married to somebody's cousin or, you know, so-and-so was my youth leader. So, you know, it, it sort of slightly perpetuates. I think it can make it very difficult for people trying to, you know, unpick. What One of the things I watch on YouTube sometimes is there's videos like American things Brits have no clue about or 
British things Americans <laughs> don't understand. <laughs> just because I think it's interesting. And they actually have them. Um, my son loves watching them from even other countries, like Russian things Americans don't understand or Swedish things or anyways. But I've watched a lot of the, the British ones because I just think it's it's fascinating. <laughs> but there is this funny story. I was laughing so hard. This guy, this British guy came to the United States and he met somebody. And this person <laughs> said to them, wow, your English is good. <laughs> guy is like, you do understand that we speak English. But I think it demonstrates just how ignorant um, that Americans can be. I mean, I think most Americans know that you you speak English, but I, there's... We might disagree that it's the same language. I, I've heard right. many across the pond who would just would say that what we speak is not actually English anymore, but. Oh, that's true. I, I didn't even think about that. Kind of like in Romania and Moldova, you'll look up and they'll have a language called Mo- Moldovan. It is essentially Romanian with some differences, kind of like in, in the UK and US. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think my favorite of those videos is watching people in other countries try like Texas barbecue or and foods that are very common here. It's like, what is this? It's fun to watch. Um, that's definitely my, that's definitely why one of the things that I would just dream of, you know, like having a list of things that you always hear about and just mm-hmm. wanting to actually try a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what would some of those things be? I'd be curious. Like, I know that um, there, there's also on YouTube where, um, People in the UK will try American snack foods or vice mm. versa. Yeah. When when we went to the to the Coca-Cola, they had this, I don't know if it still exists, but years ago they had this Coca-Cola place in Las Vegas and they had like all they give you a cup and they had like all the fountain drinks from all over the world. What was the most common soft drink? And some of them were not good, at least from my opinion. <laughs> like the most common one in Japan and just most uh, most popular one in France and things like that. And you don't even think about that, What like our snack food. So what are things you've heard about that that you think, oh, I want to try that sometime? Um, well, I think there's a few. So Chick-fil-A, definitely. Mm. <laughs> I can highly recommend. Yes, you should. Yeah. Opportunity. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> even though I think it sounds disgusting, I'd oh, still no, quite like so to good. try one. I know I just don't I just don't know if I can I don't know I just don't think I could ever handle cheese in a wrap for breakfast I just don't think it's ever going to happen for me but but so good I'd try it it I would definitely try it and Sonic I don't even Mm. know what that is is it a drink Sonic is a um a fast food restaurant chain oh right okay so they They have have great desserts Yes. Like slushies and, and shakes. Yeah. And, um, okay. <laughs> but so burgers, hot dogs, french fries, tater tots. And then, I love that. Yeah, I know. Right? And then drinks. So they have like all the different, like you can get different drinks that you can mix and different flavors. Like any yeah. flavor of slushy, I like getting, um, 
I haven't been there in a long time. I think it's cranberry and lime or something like that. So you can mix whatever. Cherry limeade is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Cherry limeade. That's what it is. You're right. You're right. And my kids. So <laughs> cherry limeade. They nice. used to, they, they have like on Tuesday, like happy hour or half price or something like that. So on the way home from homeschool co-op, I would go with my kids. And my kids would always try to pick the most bizarre mix. I want this and this, you know, something that sounded completely gross. And then they would drink it and go, hmm, good. <laughs> I could tell they didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't admit it, though. You've just got to power through and drink it. Right. Yes. I think, and the other thing that I really want to try is yams, which I think is sweet potato, cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is we very similar. We use the words yeah. interchangeably here in the US. Okay. But, in the but then you put marshmallow on it, which mm. is incredible. Yeah. But, but very bizarre. <laughs> so I'd also quite like to just try a Thanksgiving um, like meal. Well, I, I promise if you come over, we'll, we'll fix you all of those things and make and stop at all those places for you and you can try them. Brilliant. I might have to, um, I'll start saving now. <laughs> yeah, See you, you know, in about 50 years. <laughs> it's interesting because even so like breakfast burritos, if you went to Southern California and then you went to Texas and you went to Colorado, they would all be very, very different. different because you have Tex-Mex food. And yeah, which is where you're going to get the cheese, honestly. Right. They're very, I mean, there's cheese in ours. In Colorado, Mexican food, you're going to get green chili, like everything green chili. And then um, in Southern California, in Southern California, which is weird, they have something called a California burrito where they put French fries in it. I never really got into that when I no. lived there. Okay. that's Now that's a bit more appealing. <laughs> so we'll get you a California burrito. <laughs> I could get on board with French fries in or on most stuff. <laughs> well, I, in in honor of the the Plum Line podcast and the the Plum Crumble, I will send you my recipe for breakfast burritos. Yes. Okay. Do have to get Cat will have to make them though because I can't I'll, I'll really make, cook. I'll so. film ourselves eating them. I, I should I say make... my um, my sister lives in Cyprus, just out, right. just on the outskirts of Houston, Very and she by. hugely generous. She's lived there for a few years now, and she sent us at Christmas time. She sent us this parcel of uh, the Twinkies and Hershey's Kisses, like the little kind of minty, stripy ones. Oh yes, mm-hmm. and um, oh, what else was in there? Some amazing candy. Cans and oh, all sorts of all sorts of delicious um, American candy and stuff <laughs> like that. And so we filmed we filmed ourselves opening this box. Oh, and there's some jerky and and stuff like that. And um, and the kids kind of eating into it because they've never had Twinkies. They've only seen them kind of in films and stuff. So they were really excited about the Twinkies. Now I've had a Twinkie and. I mean, there's so much to love about America. I have to say, I don't think I don't think the Twinkie is like your highest. <laughs> point. I agree. And they were I'm so excited to they they bit into them and they were like, mm. <laughs> "It's not." Really they're so funny. they're so sweet. Now I will tell you. Um, well, more on the East Coast here, we got tasty cakes and those. That that's definitely Same thing, something. Different brand. 
Well, I like the butterscotch ones or the tasty cake pies. My dad's from Philadelphia, so like I grew up eating those. Tasty cakes. I love that name. (laughs) In England. Amazing barbecue and Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to go to the milk bar in New York to Christina Tozzi's place. I really love that series on Netflix called Chef's Table. I don't know if you've seen that. It's really... um, it's ridiculous. It's quite pretentious, I suppose. But the food, the food in the States on it and their special barbecue series. Oh, it just looks amazing. <laughs> As you can tell, Kat's a lot more highbrow than I am. I just want like the rubbish food. For a little food, <laughs> food and church tour of the States. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, it's the dream. It's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, my husband and I, one day... Lord willing, we are going to, my, my husband took, um, my two youngest sons to England, uh, a few years ago. And so my husband and I, I've never Mm. been the, the only out of the country I've been is Canada and Mexico. So we really want to take a European trip and we fly for free. And the best thing about our international travel is being able to fly first class or business class. So we we are going to do it. So hopefully I get to meet you guys um, sometime when we... That would be great. We just, we just long for the time where we can start meeting people again. <laughs> and and the idea, I mean, the idea of international travel at the moment is just, just seems yes. so out of reach. You know, we're, st- we're still in lockdown here in the UK. Mm-hmm. lockdown since early january you know really all the shops are closed all our children are still off school um everybody's working at home and that but that's going to be lifted in a couple of weeks and then we hope it will be a slow cautious recovery you know going forward from then but uh yeah so did you guys out here and i think maybe you guys have had something similar where you had the initial initial lockdown last year for a while and then things loosened up and then things tightened up again yeah yeah and then they they loosened up over Christmas um a bit and I suppose fairly predictably there was loads of mixing and then January was really bad and the case the COVID cases and deaths were the high were even almost twice as high as during the first lockdown so um so there's been a massive kind of clamp down here. So I keep seeing pictures on, you know, Instagram and people in America with kind of standing near each other and not always with masks on and eat my sister kind of eating out. And I'm so, I'm so envious. It depends on what state, I think. It does COVID depend on where, where you are. It yeah. does depend a lot. Well, I, yeah. I hope you guys, I hope things improve there. I, I think with the vaccine, I'm hopeful. Yeah. That um, and I know that you guys have been getting the vaccine there as we have here, and um, so yeah. I'm, I'm hoping things. I'm hopeful that things will improve. I think I think in my state you can now go. Restaurants were completely. Well, let's see. In January, um, my cousin was out, and we had thought about going out to eat, and all the restaurants were completely closed, so we got takeout. But I think that you can now go to restaurants at um, 
percent. My mom's going out to lunch with her friends, but they said, well, you can only have six people at a table. Most of them have had the vaccine. So, um, and so mm-hmm. they're doing two tables. So I think it's, and every state's different because the United States is so big that yeah. one state can be really struggling with the virus. Like California has just had a really hard time and then other states, not so much. So, well, this was so much fun to have you guys on. I, I wanted to tell you that I always referred, even though I know that, that your podcast is different than the theology gals. I, to my husband, I always refer to you guys as the UK theology gals. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's very kind. (laughs) I think that's definitely more of a compliment for for us than it is for you. (laughs) Well, you, I, I love what you guys do and we're, going to encourage all of our listeners to go check you guys out and you know it is different than theology gals which is which makes it great and something that a lot of our listeners i think will really really enjoy and it's not just for people in the uk i you know i listen and i enjoy it um so we're gonna link link your podcast in the episode notes and you guys have a facebook page too Right. I think I've liked Yeah, we it. do. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter as well. Okay. I'm going to link all of those and tell our listeners to go and like all your social media and follow your social media too, because I know that's helpful also. So thank oh, you guys. Thank you so much. This, this was so much fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. So um, and thank to you. Our, and thank you so much for having us. And to our audience, we'll see you next week.